and welcome to Geeks of Grimdark, your home for everything Warhammer, be they elves or Eldar, space marines or stormcast. We've got you covered. I'm Lord General Orc, and with me as always is... Alright folks, we've reached the finale of Season 1. That's kind of cool to say. And since, and, and since I've said at the beginning of this, every single episode of this has had a guest, which has been a cool, neat thing. But what better guest to end the season on than our S.H.I.E.L.D. brother... Yes. How are we doing, guys? I'm I'm excited to finally be on Geeks of Grimdark and be all Grimdark with you. Well, you are getting uh, well enough, for lack of a better term, educated in the ways of Warhammer to join us for such a conversation. So. Yes, I, I very much enjoy it. I um I wasn't sure what to expect, and I'm I'm happy to uh, be on here to talk about how well or not well, not to spoil anything. <laughs> um. Axel, not Axel, sorry, um, Ulrich's uh, little project worked, worked out with this book, so, or these books. So yeah, let's uh, dive right into the discussion. So normally, right with this, what we've done is we bring on someone to talk about uh, their army, but as I've established, Chris here, uh, being a friend of ours, is, you know, someone we are, we've been introducing to Warhammer over the last year or so, so this, the focus of this one is less about an army of his, and more about a series of books that we have read recently that both me and Chris have read for the first time recently that Ulrich has read many times. Uh, you might have seen us talk about them over on the Horus Heresy Book Club series that we do, and now we're here to talk about the first three books kind of in total. Yes. We also kind of, you know, to talk with Chris, get his take on this as a newcomer to 40K that really didn't know what he was getting into when we first suggested this as a book. We thought it'd be kind of fun to, you know, get the total outsider's perspective. Yes, and I, I have no army. I'm alone, sirs. <laughs> yes, he <laughs> Cast out, so. as he were. No, um, so what was I going to say? Uh, so, no, this was interesting, and for the people that have not yet listened to any of the episodes of my show, of uh, Shooting the Shit, you've been on where, you know, we've talked about other things, but you've become the resident. We talk about Warhammer episodes, and it's it's been awesome. But to give people the background, my introduction or my exposure to Warhammer um, was I had a couple of friends that worked at Games Workshop um, back when there was a Games Workshop in our local mall, which was over 20 years ago now. I think that that closed. Um, and so we'd hang out there from time to time. But, you know, I didn't really know that Games Workshop and Warhammer were tied together then. Um, to me, it was, oh, Games Workshop was a store where people played tabletop games and it just happened that the big one that everyone played there was Warhammer. I actually didn't know enough to know that it was the company that made Warhammer. <laughs> like, it did, I didn't put two and two together. I just thought it was another, you know, like comic shop or gaming hangout spot, you know? So that was really cool. But I'm, I'm very much a fan of fantasy novels and was very much a fan of real-time strategy-type games on the PC, PS1, um, you know, when I was younger. Um, I'm really into that, you know, like setting up armies and mechanics and things like that, but had never delved into any of the lore, any of the video games, never actually played Warhammer myself. So I had no idea what it was really about other than it was fantasy novels with armies and mechs and in space and um, the fans of it, or at least the community, like a lot of communities got kind of a bad rap. And uh, so... You guys said, oh, or Ulrich said, I've always had this idea that even though there's tons of lore and tons of background, there was a little bit of at least knowledge of 
fantasy and sci-fi and a tiny little bit of, hey, at least you know that Warhammer takes place in space and it's about, you know, people fighting aliens and trying to wipe out people that aren't like them, you might be able to jump right in. And so for those that are deep into Warhammer lore and know what the Horus Heresy is, I did not know what the Horus Heresy was. I know that if it's called the Horus Heresy, something's going to go freaking wrong with Horus, but that's about all I knew. So coming into this, I got to be introduced to every single one of these characters for the first time. And um, so that was really interesting and exciting to find out. And even with the foreshadowing from Ulrich and Axel, who at least I knew knew the lore, even though he hadn't read the books, it was still a surprise, a huge surprise to see where this went. This, um, you know, b- before we get deep, deep into what went down and how I felt about each book, you know. There's a lot of paralleling, you know, sci-fi out there to this. You could say like Starship Troopers definitely has a lot of Warhammer influence, particularly in or vice versa, but particularly in the film of Starship Troopers. There's definitely a lot of that, you know, very tongue in cheek, overly space, space Nazi-ish stuff that I can just tell from reading these, at least the authors of these books, if not the whole community and whole lore understands that this isn't meant to be taken 100% serious. This is way over the top. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you, sh- it's fantasy. You should be allowed to kind of be into these villainous people, even if they're awful, because they, like we said, they, they have a ton of, um, like, it, it's just amazing how much you like Horace. Horace, yep. I, I fell in love with this character. Side, like, just sidebar, as, before, yeah. before we continue, for anyone listening, as as Chris has just illustrated, we are introducing him to uh, the, this general world. Yes. As such, we focused on 40K. We have not introduced him necessarily to Warhammer Fantasy yet, so Warhammer and 40K for this episode are synonymous. But yes, that's... sorry about that. Yes, I don't want to get attacked on the internet. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, uh, so yeah, so the books we did were Horus Rising, False Gods, and Galaxy in Flames. Um, I actually listened to all three of them, so while the author is different, I think, for all three books i had um they had the same guy reading all three which was very helpful because the pronunciation of people's names stayed consistent throughout it Um, did help that we sometimes had different pronunciations in some of our conversations everyone has different the (laughs) books themselves have different pronunciations once you're in the community it's kind of a fun thing but when chris was just getting introduced to it i'm talking about like abaddon he's like what (laughs) so well no and no you say abaddon but you say abaddon in all of your recordings. I only just started doing that because that's how uh, yeah. Luton pronounces it. And I was like, yeah. I'm going to try to do it the way Luton does. Cause he's kind of like the, the bard or the, the lore master of 40 K. So but anyway, and no, no, of course. And it, it was interesting to me because when I read that name, I pronounced it Abaddon because Abaddon is, you know, Bible and devil shit, uh, the gateway to hell. Yeah. And so, um, and then I had just recently watched Hell House LLC before starting to record this. And that's the Abaddon Hotel. So I'm like, that is, that's got to be how his name is pronounced. <laughs> you know, welcome to the great debate. Um, but yeah, no. So, so it, it was just, it's really interesting because as, as Ulrich put it, these books are extraordinarily cinematic And anyone, and I mean anyone listening to this that's a fan of hard sci-fi and a fan of space action um, and war action. Um, And, you know, as as, because I kind of fall on both sides of enjoying both of that. I know that stuff, Axel just kind of checks out for a lot of that when it's just a guy going off describing how incredible war is. And and I can agree that some of it is really impactful and some of it isn't. Um, But it's just really well written. 
across all three of these books. But if anybody listening to this thinks that that sounds at all interesting, this is way up your alley. Like you have to read at least these three books. They they blew me away. That's my my umbrella statement. Um, I didn't expect it to be because they're not long books either. Nope. That that's uh, about one hundred thirty pages each. Yeah, they're not long books, but they're dense as fuck. do you know what i mean like there's just so much going on there's so much character development and i I think that's what really struck me is diving right in and i don't know if you guys have questions or if you want to set me in a direction to start well no we don't need like a direction to say that but i do want to say that like it's it's great i mean i'm i've been there kind of for your journey because we've talked about it a number of times since we started reading so i knew you were enjoying it it doesn't mean that hearing that isn't still really nice because a big theory that Ulrich had uh, was that these books are a way to introduce someone to the hobby. Like they're, they're a great starter zone. I mean, technically our starter zone was us coming on your show and talking about it, but I feel like that was still more like, all right, here's give you kind of idea of what's going on. Whereas this is more like, all right, now here's what being in the hobbies more like in in steps of course because the ultimate step would be to start collecting your own army but now we're talking about that right now so <laughs> that's phase yeah yeah, two. yeah that's phase two yes yeah. and, and but, phase three we skip over and phase four is profit exactly. <laughs> but but a big thing that i remember you mentioning early on and that i had felt the same way too before i started really getting into the lore and so i thought it was really neat to hear it kind of echoed is that since Warhammer has existed for 30, I don't know, a lot of years, multiple decades, oh, yeah. um, there there is this kind of cultural osmosis where there are a bunch of people who are aware of it as a concept but don't know too much about it. And because of the, the chosen aesthetic of Warhammer and the fact that it is so ridiculous and grimdark and over the top and the term grimdark may actually come from Warhammer depending on – what source you're looking at. Uh, I think it's very easy for people to write it off if, as if, if there even is a narrative, it's probably a really stupid, simple one to facilitate said action. And for me, reading the lore, but then especially reading these novels, is like, I'm actually surprised at the sheer level of, of pathos and character work that's going into this, like around said, like, yeah, there are those scenes where it's just brutality. But and there are ones that well, a lot of them, the best ones are actually serving like character function. And anyway, I was just kind of going off that bit, like hearing you talk about that made me think about that. And I always thought that was really cool about these books. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And and like I said, before I before I dive right in, um, Ulrich and you, is is there any initial questions? Uh, you know, people that if you wanted to know, like they said that you guys were on my show first and kind of started me through Warhammer 101 and we you kind of started setting it up as we read these books to not reveal stuff in that 101 until we got to it in the books. So I... for instance, Chaos, we didn't talk about Chaos until Chaos was mentioned and started showing up in the books because that actually was really great because it I will say, starting Horus Rising, the seeds of heresy are sown. The the first book, the first like chapter or two, I won't call it overbearing because I you know I have a mind for this stuff, and you know you've seen a thousand space sci fi things, you've seen one, you know what I mean. So I could latch on, but it just kind of dumps you into it, you know. They, yeah. they and I'm and I'm not saying that's a negative. It's just it's kind of the type of thing where like if someone in a longer novel had written it. You know, like there, there's a lot of um, 
like deep sci-fi out there that would spend like the first 10 chapters of their book doing what the first two did in this book. You know, the introduction of our characters and the spear tip going down to the planet and killing the emperor and then unveiling that this emperor is a false emperor and it sets up all the characters. But I do have to say that it sticking you in the middle of a battle felt like I was in the like end of the second act of a movie. So, like, I had to step back for a minute and go, wow, that, is that how this whole book's going to run? You know so what I mean? Is it it's really, sorry, it was really funny. Before we – I just don't want to forget this. Technically speaking, the entire Horus Heresy kind of is the end of a second act, the beginning of a third act. At least these three books are literally basically wedged between the Great Crusade – and the Horus Heresy. So they kind right. of are, by definition, exactly what you just described. So. But they, they dumped me in. And again, I didn't know what the Great Crusade was before I started this book. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. I, I had an idea yeah. of it. You guys gave me the idea. You know, the, the Emperor set off to spread human, man, the, you know, man across the universe. And anyone that did not have the ideal of man as he saw it, rather whether they were humans that had gone and inhabited other planets or Xenos needed to either die or assimilate. And, um, okay, cool. That's, you know, very carbon copy, cut and dry, you know, hard space Nazi sci-fi. Like that's how that stuff works. But it, it doesn't feel one note, and it also didn't feel like I was listening to something I've listened to a thousand times before or read a thousand times before. You know, well, this e- this easily with the grim dark thing could get stuck being like, okay, this just sounds like Halo, or oh, this just sounds like Starship Troopers, or oh, this just sounds like you know the the crappy video game they're making fun of in um, Wreck It Ralph. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And it doesn't feel that way, even though I know the lore and the um. The view of it is definitely that, you know, the the washed out color, brown and gray and black and, you know, but instead I read this, this jumps, this jumps off the page like anime to me. Well, Do you know what I'm considering? Mean? It was funny because one of the base things you just said with colors, like I get really, for lack of a better term, frustrated with what, what uh, washed out color palettes and the fact that like Warhammer really is not because a big part of the appeal is painting your own minis. So built yes. into the lore is the idea that every like faction is their own bright ass colors. <laughs> I love that. Oh, it's just a side. Yeah, like the only aesthetic. kind of washed out army is the Imperial guard. And even that goes in their aesthetic of, you know, a, thou- a faceless mass. Yep. Of, so, you know, they covered that in, but you no, know, everyone else is bright and colored. Partially wow. why space Marines are so popular is they're fucking colorful as hell. Also easy to paint relatively because their models have a lot of like uh, not detailed spaces, like their pauldrons and stuff. So anyway, <laughs> so so a thing a thing that I find really interesting um, about all well, it's not necessarily about all three of these books because by the time you get to the third book, it's pretty um, set in stone what direction things are going in. It's just still surprising as hell what direction it actually goes and even if you start being able to see it coming a mile away i can't believe the lengths hold on before that if you don't mind i just just want to say um because i kind of want to put you on a i you mentioned a direction i kind of actually want to put you on a direction first before that let me quickly say one of the things i think is interesting makes this different is yes the empire like they stick you right in you get that kind of like that as you said space nazi vibe i think one of the interesting things is that the uh, the nature of said crusade is described very quickly as being this like this secular and enlightened kind of thing, and it gives you that kind of. I feel like good fiction will do this. Will give you a thing where it's like, okay, 
I know this is bad, but I can also understand what's good about it. And I feel like that kind of makes it, well, it makes everything that happens in the following three books more complicated and moral. Inter- anyway, sidebar. And right. You're, yeah, you're no. rooting for Horace, the, you know, you, you, the, not necessarily the face of this, you know, evil space regime, but your main viewpoint. And you're like, wow, this guy's really charismatic and likable and he's committing war crimes, but he's just so charismatic and well, likable. So, so before me and Ulrich, I think cut in with more conversation because generally these geeks of Grimdark, we mm-hmm. like to put our guest up on a, a pedestal really and just Ooh. do their thing while we ask yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah. No, so this is I, great. Yeah, so for at least like maybe the first, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes, however long it takes you, and I'm going to try not to interrupt you as best I can, I just want you to give me how you describe your journey through these three books. Yes, I, I th- that is exactly what I was going to get you. So that's perfect. I just wanted to I wanted to hit one point without blowing where the thing goes yet for people that haven't read it. Because, you know, obviously, if you're listening to this spoiler alert, but just it, it was amazing that the books, for the most part, they stick you in and make you love a group of people that are basically the empire in Star Wars. Right. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you dump in and you go, OK, instead of like the good guys being a rebellion or something that is the automatic thing, they give you reason to understand why and put you in the seat of characters that believe this is the right thing to do. And yeah. so because of that, you as the reader get brought along with that and you it, it establishes a belief structure with you reading it that then as that belief structure is ripped apart around you you it feels like you're being betrayed and that's really important to me because Loken, the character that they put you in the shoes of starts off kind of one note in that first battle you, you learn about him but then they humanize him And then they humanize Horus and they give you this character of Loken that Horus likes because he is questioning things. And you're like, man, this is like, you know, the 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 guy that actually understands what's going on, taking this guy under his wing. And this is they're going to be the ones that fix the problems, you know, and you've got the Mornival and it's like the guy has people that he wants to tell him no. And that's a good thing. You know what I mean? And they introduce you to it and it never really comes off that this is all just being set up to betray you as the reader and betray these characters. And then they introduce you to the iterators and a guy, you know, that, um, that questions it and goes against it. You know what I mean? And the whole thing is like setting up to, okay, so we've given you this thing and it's full of characters that all question it. So then when we get to the, Horus has to decide what side he's on thing. You still even feel on that point. Like I even said to you guys, I think this guy's being duped. Like, is the emperor really as bad as, you know, we're being told by these chaos things. And I still don't know, right. I haven't gotten past these three books. So I still don't know if Horus is in the quote unquote wrong for what he did. I just know that I feel fucking betrayed. You know what I mean? And, And I think, I think that's really impressive. So, so journey wise, You know, the first book just does an incredible thing of setting up characters. It starts off very real for me and as real as something in space, you know, that sci-fi is. But it starts off feeling like this could be any, you know, on the ground earth war movie just with spaceships and stuff. There's not a whole lot of alien stuff going on and there's no magic or, you know, chaos stuff going on yet, at least up front. So... The first book, I think, does a really good job of sticking that way until I believe it's the first book that we get to Samus, right? Yep. Uh, the, the Whisperheads is the like, Whisperheads. Yeah, and the, the the Whisperheads, man. 
I, I gotta say, there, there's a lot of horrifying stuff in these three books. That shit in the Whisperheads is fucking scary. Uh, yep. The way that it's described, I felt like I was very easy to picture the... Ex- and that's not just because I've seen the model, but I could picture the creature in my head. Like I was I was terrified for everybody. And, and that's what I mean. When you, when you read it and you hear it, you can understand why the characters who basically had PTSD for the rest of the books, how, why they were affected so hard by this. Because this is, I mean, in particular, Loken, Loken, who's not supposed to have feelings, right, <laughs> is just completely shook by what he sees and what he witnesses with these people and still Still, even like, and I hate that I'm jumping around, but even in the third book, when they've basically left them there to to die in battle, he still has that honor with him where it's like, this is still who I am, even though all this stuff is questioning it. It really blows me away at how much they they double down on that stuff, that like the the brotherhood and the, the tradition and things with every character you meet, right? You almost get with almost every character you meet that's from a new lore or a new race or a new whatever, you kind of get their whole story, you know, in a very short amount of pages. They do an incredible job of that. It's just nuts. And and then, so, I don't know, while I'm still in the first book, point me at something you guys want to know my reaction to. I know I'm kind of well, jumping after, all over. I mean, I've listened, to, heads. I listened after, to every episode you guys have done of the book club, so... You know, I've been through the de- the detailed journey. I don't want to talk, you know, your guys' ears off for four hours describing every detail. But uh, you don't need you know. every detail. But so, so after the Whisperheads would be murder. So I have a quick thing on murder. But I also say that a big part of what you just said is, and I know we had this conversation before because when we talked about, uh, I don't remember which episode it was, but we asked you, when I say Space Marine, what do you think of? And you said something like the lines of, you know, Spartans in Halo or, the you know, just like the guys in, in Starship Troopers. And we had to, you know, be very, like, Space Marine means a very specific thing. And you point out that idea, like, they're not supposed to have feelings. And that's, it's not necessarily true, but it is a part of it. And the idea that you can have characters like this who are basically, like, Captain America, but more levels of super soldier, and who's, like, the, the main thing about them is they shall know no fear. And now let's proceed to humanize these characters. Like, anyway... Uh, murder. Murder would be the next thing to mention. Yeah, and murder, you know, I, I definitely fall... Um, I feel like in the next two books, the the battles, um, you know... Like, I feel like the murder thing in this book is just to give people that haven't read the book an idea of how Space Marines battle and operate. They they definitely go back to the themes, like the, the Lucius stuff and things like that all kind of starts here. Like, you know, the the things that lead us to, oh, so that guy wasn't just a little toady, like, whining about not having power. Like, that's all he cares about. You know what I mean? We They start a lot of that stuff here, but in this book, it feels kind of like, and now we have a battle for three chapters to have a battle. And I know that it's written a lot better than that, and I found it exciting and interesting, but it it's a lot of setup for how characters are going to act later, where I feel like the battles in the next two books were kind of interwoven a bit better. Like they were happening well, stuff was happening that they kept jumping back to, where murder is just, let's watch these guys fucking kick some ass. You know? 
basically how I feel. And then the the last section of the first book would be the Interex. Oh, I love those the parts. Federation like people. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was really cool. And that's where the um were they the ones they're the ones that had the weapons thing that we yeah. steal the thing that killed yeah. Horus yeah. from. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay, so that that was incredible. That 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 section was really cool because you know, we should be set up with all the other sci-fi we've seen and written to get that something fucked up's going to go on here. But because these characters are so charismatic, it's like, I want them to learn something from this. Mm-hmm. You're you so know hopeful. what I mean? It's what? like, I want, like, and, and they lead you to believe that, like, even Horace wants to. Like, at this point in time, I still don't feel like, okay, so yeah, someone stole the thing. Even, and again, in the grand scheme of things, was this... This wasn't a plan of Horace's. He had plans. He had things he was thinking. You know what I mean? But, and he, obviously he was able to be swayed by this, but this was all the fucking nut bars in the lodge. And I want to get Erebus. <laughs> Erebus, Jesus Christ. That's why, that's, why, that's why the conversation between Loken and the guard is so great, because it's the first mm-hmm. time the book acknowledges chaos in direct yes. work. Yeah. So, so, Chris, I want to get your takes on that part specifically, because... The first time I read it, I had a loose understanding of what chaos was. I didn't have a concrete understanding. So to me, it's like, wait, we're going to talk about chaoses? Okay, I want to know more. What was yours having no real grounding in what chaos well, was? You sudden have this whispered like, hey, do you know about chaos? And you going... Well, well, no, that 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 really amazed me because even in talking, like I think the only mention of chaos in any of our discussions or in anything I read in the book was that it had something to do with the warp and it had something to do with the manipulation of the warp that the Emperor is using to be able to send ships around fast and talk around. So that's like all I had. So when I hear the word chaos in the way that it was used in this book, it's like, okay, what does this mean? Because I still don't didn't know you know, outside of Samus, which again, Samus, you guys did a very good job and this book did a very good job of not mentioning chaos when talking about Samus, because I go, okay, what's really going on there? Is this guy infected? Is it some sort of like crazy drug thing going on? I was thinking, is it some sort of, you know, biological weapon? Because up to this point, everything in this was very real world and i know Grounded, that's weird for lack of and, term yeah <laughs> and i know that's weird to say in sci-fi but there was nothing about afterlife or ghosts or anything in this book up to that point so with chaos it's like that to me was going is that a group of people is that like some like faction of these guys from like way back in the day because there's, there's they do start with a lot of the old texts they do mention that and like how religion is banned, you know, because it only hurt things. And it's like, so what is this, you know? And so it, it really got me interested because I didn't know what they were getting at. And it's like the, if the interacts kind of understand that and have moved past it, <laughs> it's like so you're right there alongside the characters in like, wait a second. Yeah. What is this? What are you well, talking that's why about? I love Loken's reactions. He says something like he's, he's asked, like, you know what chaos is, right? He goes. I know what the word means, but the way you're using it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it's bonkers. And that whole section, just the anathema getting stolen, it's like, it, it really, this book is really good foreshadowing for everything that happens, but during reading it, I couldn't have told you, and I was completely wrong when we talked about, you know, we talked about, Chris, where do you think this is going? I was way off. Even with Horus, when, when the shit happens in False Gods with Horus, I was still in the, okay, I get that the heresy is going to happen, but 
why is all this bad shit happening to Horus? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what, well, like, that that brings us to uh, the first section of False Gods would be Davin's Moon. Yes. Oh shit. <laughs> so is yeah, where we kind of enter a whole different kind of sci-fi for the first real time. <laughs> So, so let, so to make sure, and thank you for helping move me along because it's been a bit since I read this one. So Davin's moon, that's when they get down there and they're, who, who sends them down to Davin's moon again? They, they get a, a distress it was call. Uh-huh. It was a bit, but is it, is it because of a distress call? Like what? I forget no, why they end up there. Planet, he, he tells Horus that the planet is in, uh, what's the word? The rebellion. Revolt. Yeah, so Erebus shows up and says, hey, man, this planet's in revolt. And because it was a planet that Horus himself liberated 60 years prior, he gets kind of personally affronted. Oh, by yeah, no, 100%. The, like, that that's your checkmate right there. Like, when, when you realize that works, it's like, oh, this guy's going to be so fucking easy to manipulate. Like, at that point. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so so they get down there. And I forget why that's where the factions that that's not like the big split of the factions that's when we get to um that's when we get to istvan that's like when the oh the spear tip is going to be made up of all these people i don't like oh yeah, yeah no, so <laughs> is they're all still working together and they're told hey the leader of the revolt is in this dis- back. <laughs> yeah hey, okay it's in this destroyed <laughs> ship go deal with him and it's in and a then swamp they all, and then swamp. they all get attacked by the what would you say now are pox walkers basically but as yeah. far as i read here there were zombies of some sort accurate um, <laughs> or reanimated corpses of some sort and they get in there and who's so there there did happen to have been somebody who looked like he was leading a rebellion in there but it's almost like he was also a pox walker of some sort manipulated and given that sword to kill horus yeah, I don't remember his name, but he's described as being like giant and bloaty and covered in pus and right. Like, I remember Horace, Horace takes that very personally because he sees him after he takes him down. He sees him as his friend that like he yep. knew. Yeah, that was. And yeah. again, well, I love because all I, of this is written in a way to keep you on Horace's side. It's like you know he just got betrayed, but I don't feel like the betrayal is going to make him into a bad guy. Like yeah. at this. I've never read anything in the lore to indicate this, but when the when that scene illustrated that the the human who is at the center of that creature is still like cognizant but not in control, like out in the uh, the 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 deep place or whatever they called it. Yeah, like I never read about that particular creature type behaving that way and since the borg are literally the most terrifying fictional creatures to me for that very reason i was like whoa okay (laughs) yeah we make sure you can watch what we do with you oh jesus (laughs) yeah anyway so then we have we have horace so sorry to i'm just no that's horse go down but he gets he gets cut just on his shoulder and it doesn't seem like a big deal but then he falls and the next sequence is all about bringing Horace back to the ship and how oh, everyone Jesus. reacts to this. So and this is this is the impetus of everything that happens from here on out. And this was an impetus of a big debate um, from us because this, you know, this is where we have um, the guy you hate, Ulrich, um, or not hate, but yeah, be, but disagree with you know what he did here, and and I can see more of that as it goes, but still feel it. I feel for the people on the dock, uh, you, you know, in, in this scene, and, and the book intentionally, I think, is written in a way that splits people because this is, and the characters in the book are split, so it makes it great as a reader because you don't really know how the book wants you to feel still at this point. Um, but they they you know obviously 
we've been following the state this the viewpoint of Loken. We've been following the viewpoint and have now humanized a space marine. And the space marine claims that these guys are our viewpoint and the book completely breaks through that barrier and puts you with the lay folk for the first time and it's an incredible tonal shift in how you view these characters because you immediately see all these characters that you felt like you were 100% on board with and they're immediately alien to you by the way that they write this book these guys walk in they're pulling horse and they're trampling and killing and destroying everyone in their path. Now, when you think about it, it's like me walking through, you know, a room full of ants and stepping on them basically at that point, trying to save, you know, my friend's life, you know, or, or my, my boss's life or the president or the, you know, you know, whatever it is. Family. I get it. Literally a family. Their father, yeah, so. I get it. But the way it's written, it's written intentionally as a, Hey, you know how you thought you understood these guys? You know what? They're they're basically barbarians. Here you go. Yep. It's, it's a reminder that they're weapons. It's like holy shit, and it it really sets off the tone for the rest of the books because it makes you then be comfortable questioning every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a single character that at some point in the book you don't go well, and then you start reading. It's like okay, what's going to happen from here? Well. You see the characters who you're still kind of not sure who to trust and who not to trust. You've got, you know, the twisted there and those guys who are saying, well, we got to give them somebody and you go, okay, well, they're going to give them Loken. Of course, Loken's going to be the, the, um, the martyr for this. But then I kept sitting around waiting for that to happen. And it's like, they immediately jump past that. It's like, no, no, no. I'm just going to kill every single fucking one of them. Like there's no more. (laughs) It's important at this point that we hit the, the, the proper fracturing because we literally have at this point, uh, space Marine characters making different decisions. The big one is what do we do about, Horus. Loken and his group decide we're going to go down to Davin and try to figure out like what happened to get more information for well, our medical people who the trust. Goddamn lodge. And then the lodge decides we're going to listen to Erebus who tells us about some supernatural healer on the moon and that's where we're going to take him. <laughs> and, and I gotta say as, as a recovering as I like to call it with people a recovering Catholic schoolboy. Um, who's read the Bible several times and understands the good parts of morality and ethics that can come from those teachings and understands that, yeah, it doesn't matter how much good there is. It's all about fucking manipulating people. The minute the lodge was introduced in the book, that's one of the first things that I called total bullshit on. I'm like, this sounds bad. seems bad. Like, this seems like exact, like, even if I don't trust characters saying, hey, the old ways were bad and, like, these other things are bad, this one represents a, that's probably something that was a good idea to get rid of. (laughs) (laughs) You you know what I mean? It's this really interesting thing because, like, throughout the book, we're told the emperor has one vision and that is science beats religion, science, good, religion, bad. Secularism. Yes, and you have this great divide of like, okay, we can trust science or we can go back to the old way the emperor told us was bad. And then the repercussions from that decision and the fracturing that it causes is this kind of this cool, bigger picture shrunk down, you know? Well, it also is is made more complicated by the fact that at this point in the book, we have been introduced to Titus. So we have been introduced to people who straight up worship the emperor, thus studying the waters further. So... 
Exactly, and and that's that's a really interesting point because I still don't know. Okay, after these three books, if I, you know, if people betraying the emperor is a bad thing, it's obviously a bad thing for the characters we've been following. He's right there, Mister Inquisitor. Sorry. <laughs> <There>, continue. <laughs> do you know what do you know what I mean though? Like it it's obviously it, it worked but again if you flip the coin and do what I just said, imagine if you made Rogue One, the Star Wars movie, but stuck you into and had no other movies and said, "No, we're going to stick you in the side of the empire and these fucking terrorists just blew up this fucking planet." Do you know what I mean? It, oh, I it, still think they should make that movie. They're just too scared to. Do, do you know what I mean, though? That That's the way I feel this book did, is this book ends with you kind of the viewpoint of the reader to go, okay, what just went down is a bad thing. Well, but I don't know. Point, but I don't point. know what the thing I'm left with is because they never put you in the, in the shoe. You never get to meet the Emperor. Well, that's why if there's any one section of any of these three books, I really want to get your your meat on you know it's it's horace's we're gonna call it vision journey oh god yes epic adventure which is easily yeah. my favorite part of all these books <laughs> so it does a great way of introducing you like it introduces you what, what was the name of the guy who's constantly trying to get there to save all of this from magnus magnus, magnus who we were introduced to is is using magic but he's and and all of this religious stuff but he's using it because he wants to help it's like this cool like i'm using it but i'm using it cuz they at least paint him as a good character so he's there as like the wolf Right, he he's the one that's showing up as the wolf, right? Because Magnus it was, always had good intentions. Yeah, and so Magnus is there attempting to help, and then you've got Erebus showing up as all of Loken's dead friends. Um, you know, I I found this part so amazing because this in any movie is the part where you should re immediately be able to smell bullshit. But because of the way the book was written, and because I hadn't really figured out yet that Erebus, well, no, because they they don't even. No, they've kind of already given you that Erebus is down on the planet and he sacrifices himself and that girl so he can come in here. So you've kind of been given, though, okay, Erebus is bad news, or at least Erebus is trying to do something bad. But you still don't necessarily know if, what his motivation is. What his motivation is. And also, more and, importantly, if what horse is being shown yes, is true or not. See, my reaction to this was, fuck the Emperor. Like the way and, and and Ulrich was like, oh, you, you need to you need to read longer. And I'm like, no, fuck the emperor. It's like, did he really do this? Did, like, is this vision real? Like he fucking sacrificed his kids and like he did all this. This is bullshit. Like I was angry. And then it's like, then the book is working well, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because no, I, I really do. It's what makes me feel even more betrayed because I'm like, I felt at the and they give you they make you wait till the next book. Right. I'm pretty sure. Or at least the next section to find out what Horace's reaction to all this was. Uh, yeah, they, they play it kind the of next... close to the vest. Yeah, like you, you, when you get out with Horace, you you don't even know what decision he made. It's like okay, he walks back out, and they told you if if he doesn't side with with chaos, um, or side with you know he doesn't get to live. But at the same time, you don't necessarily know if he hasn't found you know a way around that. And it's like okay, I'm just gonna play their game, and they like. You know, still have his hero's journey of like, no, fuck them. Like, I betrayed them, whatever. You don't know, but they, you know, the realization is they fully tapped into his pride. And you guys talked about this in your show, um, your your notes um, uh, about the chapters. And I fully agree with it, that 
characters in this book, like Loken and there's and the Mornaval, like you take all of them, they all represent parts of Horus's personality. And by breaking the Mornaval, and this is exactly what Erebus and Chaos and all the the people on the side of the you know evil lodge and all of that were doing, is they Horus had what Horus ends up in him the whole time. All they had to do was break the rest of it down and amplify that. And that's exactly what they did. They let his pride and his disagreement and anger at the Emperor for basically betraying him and leaving him alone to carry out the crusade. And they played off of that and turned that into a weapon. They took a weapon and weaponized it, basically. They took the War Master and made him live up to his name, right? Yeah. And, and it, also, it just, that's where, as you established, also we have the the full on breaking of the Mordaval, where we literally have Torgaddon and Loken arrayed against uh, Abaddon and Little Horus, which so, is so heartbreaking because I loved all those guys. Yep. No, they really do a great job, you know, writing these characters and making them so compelling and likable, and you understand where they're coming from, but you're still so mad at them. Like, stop being idiots. You're brothers. You're meant to get along, and you're so, being betrayed. <laughs> Without without spoiling anything, I will say that the Emperor as a figure is one that even in the more well-known, like, or people who know more about the lore, it is a is a figure of debate. So, like... Good, uh, okay. You never really can pin down what's going on with him. Like, that's kind of the point of him, though. He is literally this god figure for a reason but anyway no it's interesting so so and, and i can't remember what so this remind me how false gods ends does it end does anybody die like is is any is nope. any of the beginning of horace's murdering of people started at yeah. the end of this yes book? Car carcassi uh, okay yeah, yeah carcassi okay dies carcassi and... gets killed by what's her name and so does um, vivar vivar petronola yeah okay the, hers is terrible when he snaps her oh my god yeah. Motherfucker. And then yeah, you this, get uh, the big... Oh, where he brings attack. in everyone. And he, also we have the scene where he brings in all the people who he trusts most to tell them that, yes, he does plan to overthrow yeah. his father. Okay. Just making sure I remember when these things happen because it, it moves so breakneck. That after, is, that's <laughs> the scene that False Gods ends on is him saying, yes, I'm going to do this. You're all going to help me. And the first step of the plan is at this place. So. And then, then we then we get to Galaxy in Flames, which moves at such an incredible pace. They did this incredible thing in this book where they're constantly jumping between each set of characters. And this is what I mean about how like murder was kind of its own section. This book just layers what's going on because everybody's been split up at this point. Yep. And um it just did a great job, I feel, of jumping between them. Um, and uh it's it's so bleak. I mean, you get the the, you've got um what's his name there the uh the you've got the the saint basically the woman who keeler uh, yeah keeler has she become the saint at this point she's in a coma at this point if I'm because yeah. of what happened it's... in the library in false gods right yeah. and that's when we saw the chaos tentacles of light coming out and yeah and then she she t held it back by holding up the emperors i love again remember that Horus is basically the space Nazi, you know, the representing, but the emperor still has like, you know, iron eagles and shit like that. It's just things. Yep. So it's like well, she's literally also, holding off chaos with a symbol of Nazism. Well, that's, that's <laughs> also great. Cause it's like, it lends credence to both the chaos and also not the chaos because it's like, 
she literally holds off a demon with the faith of her the emperor now what mechanism caused that to happen the book is not doesn't tell you all it knows well, is that cinderman sees a crazy fire throwing demon and a woman hold up a symbol of the emperor and banish it that's all he and sees I, <laughs> I love that we get a character who's been so 100 percent about the crusade up to this point who immediately sees that and is immediately swayed by it because now we've got a villain in Horace, at least he's the antagonist now that the book has turned him into proper <laughs> and the lodge and all of this. They're the ones utilizing the magic and chaos and religion. And that's bad. But then the emperor as religious figure is all of a sudden the good thing that we're supposed to stand behind. That's why I find this is so amazing because I call bullshit on all of it. Well, what makes that even more complicated is that the Emperor as God is the reason why the Horus has become a villain in the first place. Yeah. So it's like, it's all very Ouroboros. Now, and <laughs> now since, since we don't really get an arc where, where our saint, you know, is all of a sudden better, I love the idea um, this falls into, like, my favorite versions of people that are magic in... Uh, magic fantasy is when it's actually like elementally or energy or you know entropy based so it's literally like murdering her to basically be this saint and hold this power and that leads me to believe like is she just a conduit for the emperor to do whatever he's doing in the background that we don't know about you know what i mean is 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 her ability to hold off the demon using the insignia of the emperor because he's basically a god in the way that this world works in the fact that he's anti-chaos or, or is, is it even just, related to him at all yeah or, is, or yeah or is it something else just manipulating chaos um and as being a stand-in for the emperor you know all of these questions and the book just glances through them and makes the characters again believe it so strongly that you as the reader are swayed in what direction you're supposed to follow and i think that's really good writing so in, in the way that works yeah and so galaxy and flames while it is technically broken up into three sections they're not they're a lot more intertwined it basically is all about this ground war and istvan oh my god and, and different characters figuring out things and so you could I, I guess you could argue we've got two different things we have the the scenes going on in the ships and the scenes going on on the surface so yeah. that's how I break this down. No, and when I imagine the uh, HBO series of the Horus Heresy, when we get to the Galaxy and Flame season, the series is going to start with a timer in the corner with yes. no explanation. It's just going to start. It's going to start counting down. And you're going, I wonder what that's about. That feels ominous because this book does start with this, this like, something's not right and I don't quite know what it is. And each chapter is like, something's coming. Like, for okay, can we have it happen yet? No, no. <laughs> Two more chapters. All right, no, for, sake of, for, sake chapters. Of, uh, for sake of conversation, let's start with talking about the scenes on the ship, which involves Horace talking with his council and Keeler and Cinderman dealing with trying to get off the ship. And the, those are like the big things going on through this book on the ship. No, absolutely. And, and really quick, um, back to the thing that Horace is going through in his vision quest. Oh. I hold I hold just as much credence in whether what he was being shown was the real future or not, as I hold in any vision Keeler's being given. Even though we're shown in the book that that stuff that she sees comes to play, I still think it's all coming from similarly bullshit bents 
for 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 purposes unknown to me as of yet and, and that that's an interesting take i know but it's just how i feel i still well, am not not trustworthy of any of these people <laughs> i will say again without going into details because i'm trying to be vague about something might happen in the future technically speaking in a previous conversation that we've had with you chris just by the very nature of describing the 40k world as opposed to the 30k world this takes place in we have kind of answered some of those questions yes and and i'm being vague too because i kind of know some of that but i yeah yeah. but i'm saying (laughs) there are very interesting conversations to be had about that they're just you can't have them at this point (laughs) okay so back we're we're on the ship and and i love this section on the ship because we've now as the reader established that we know that horace has had two characters murdered he murdered one of them himself and he had um what's her name of uh, vivar's little vivar's little toady who's now been turned into um and a new member of the lodge basically um and being converted into a space marine um being sent around to do all of their dirty work and i love how brutal like we've we've been established that he's a swordsman and he's all this but the brutalness of the shot the gunshot in that section is awful the way that that is written you you can taste the fucking metal you know what i mean like it's just so awful the way they wrote that scene the fear in carcassi is he's crying as he can't stop what's happening it is that got me (laughs) no and i just i love the idea (laughs) of giving him basically his own suicide note but being like you like hand like it's like i immediately know what you're about to do like you fucking oh great, right? And it, it it falls into Ulrich's. Yeah, he was kind of being a little bit too loose with how he was being. That's 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 the book basically saying yeah he was when he goes oh shit I kind of did this to myself didn't I oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, you're you probably know? wondering how I got here. It's yeah, a funny it's, story. It, funny story. Going against the space Nazis was probably my first mistake when I am <laughs> one of them. Um, no, uh, um. But yeah, uh, so, so we get here, and so they're in the ship. They're in hiding. You know, they've Euphrates is basically in a coma, right? And we've now got all of these factions of people meeting and talking, and Loken and other people are starting to establish what went down. Okay, these people were killed. It was probably Maggard. We know who's doing it. We know who we can't trust. They're starting to establish all of that. So it's a lot of building up the how the hell are they getting off this ship? And with that, they're setting up a new spear tip, right, to go down to Istvan, and we don't know why. Because there's some revolt there, that's all yeah, we know. <laughs> some revolt, but they are, and, and what's amazing still is, well, kind of still going to do my job, so if they tell me to go, I'm going to go. And um, it, it's it's like I said, it's amazing the, the honor and stuff, like the fact that Loken still goes down there um, is is impressive. But like you said, it's, it's amazing because they split, it's like, everybody that could be on the opposing side is being sent down and they're not being sent down with their own guys. And (laughs) I forget, when is it that Horace makes the call that he wants everybody to come? That's when they're already down on the planet. So I won't jump to that yet, but that was incredible. It's like, this is obviously a trap and we're going (laughs) (laughs) like Jesus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so, so keep, keep, keep directing me. Cause this, this oh. jumped around so much that I forget when certain things happen. It's all right. I want to, I want to uh, talk about like, this is, there's, this is goes throughout the book, but all of Horace's conversations with people throughout the book, they all take place in the skeleton. 
He's so Skeletor at this point. <laughs> you have, you failed me again. <laughs> he, he was giving me kind of a Megatron vibe, like Malaguer exactly. the Starscream. So, God damn it, you confounded people! <laughs> it just it was it's amazing how quickly they went from Horace being charismatic guy you like to whiny bitch ass supervillain. <laughs> Well, my, my favorite my favorite conversation of all that is his conversation with his brother Fulgrim, where oh, like Fulgrim yeah. is being all like, "How dare you try to order me to do some pissant activity? Is, is it working? <laughs> yeah, it's working. <laughs> so good. <laughs> You're just no, trying to play play into all of my pride, aren't you? Is it working? <laughs> <laughs> the subtlety is gone." Because he doesn't, he's not balanced anymore. He was in balance when he had his counsel, and they take that away, and he's out of balance. And, and it's I like a nice that. little subtle thing. It's like someone you were better says before. that later in the book. It's like you don't have your precious Mordeval anymore. So what am I supposed to do other than just agree with you? It, I also feel, it, I was going to say, I feel objectively, we can look at a lot of Horace's decisions and be like, okay, maybe it's because we're an audience and we have more information than him. But these are bad decisions. Like, oh, yeah. staying in the ground war on Istvan, such a bad decision born from pride. <laughs> so, and, and it's yep. not just his pride. It's the fact that he's he's chosen to have in his court the people he's like he easily he easily could have just been, you know what? These Primarchs are going to be trouble, right? They're not no matter what their pride is going to go against. Like the, the Primarchs are all selfish. They've shown themselves to be selfish and prideful. Like and they're all battling against each other and they all disagree. So, so far, the like, only one, just one quick, the only one who has not shown that, and he only had one scene, but everyone, the way everyone talks about it, it illustrates too, is Sanguinius. Yeah, I just want correct. you to remember that in your brain. Yes, correct. But it's just it's interesting that Horace's biggest mistake is that he didn't just freaking melt all the fucking Primarchs too. But um, he, you know, I mean, that would be if you're gonna take over, killing all of the emperor's children is probably a smart way to do it. Yeah, you know, but he needs the that. generals and he needs their legions to follow him, and he also kind of like he he's very much said that you know, well, I, I can control Angron. Yes, he's an uncontrollable killing machine. Even the emperor can't fully. God, control, I love Angron, but I I can control him because I am Horus and I am the chosen one and. I don't know what I I love Angron so much. Oh, you're gonna the more you learn about Angron, the more you're gonna love him. I don't know what book it is, but I know there's a scene somewhere where Angron is talking to someone well before the events of the heresy, and he's talking about the Emperor, and basically he says out loud to this other Primarch, where he, he says something along the lines of, Hey man, I don't have morals. I don't have the luxury of morals. My job is to go murder things, and that's what I'm good at. But if I did have morals, and I, those kind of things did matter to me, then I would walk up these steps and chop that slaver's head right off. Oh, hell yeah. That's a great line. <laughs> Damn. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something along those lines. So, Now, Angron's a really interesting character as the heresy goes on, and he evolves, and you're like, okay, you make sense now. But no, it, it really is interesting that they set up, like, right from the get-go, that Horus is not the same person he was you know, previously, and part of that is everything that's gone on with Cass, but part of it's also, you know, he's surrounded himself with sycophants and yes-men and people that aren't willing to challenge his authority and go, hold on, is this a good idea? Right. And even he, he, he really fucked up. That yeah. he is the war master and he's destined to rule the galaxy, so he has no faults. But everyone else will be like, listen, Angeron's great, but he's, you know, a warhound. When you release him, you don't get to put him back on his leash until he's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
He needs he needs to be uh, yeah it's it's incredible and and again forgetting how stuff and plays like out I love that they reveal in the early parts of this chapter that like the biggest part of the heresy like the 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 without you know it wasn't just Horus right like the emperor's children like were the faction that was like under Fulgrim and um and what's his head there were all. Ellen, we're altering people using Zeno's technology, the thing that goes against the Emperor's wishes so much. And they were doing it, you know, without necessarily Horace knowing prior, you know, yeah. like the guy that basically is able to have like the the like um crazy bird screech that, you know, shuts up everything on like these things are really freaking cool. And then who is it? Is it Tarvitz that's yeah. offered that and Tarvitz. he betrays? Tarvitz becomes the coolest fucking character. For, in this for the book. record, I will say you got me thinking about this earlier when you're talking about Loken. Tarvitz is the only character that I can tell so far, and correct me if you can think of something, who doesn't have a well who doesn't have a very obvious law that causes his fall like even Loken as much as the our POV and our main character is you could argue it's his stubbornness and his inability to play the game that really brings him down like he could have if he was more sly about it uh, worked his angles a lot better but yeah no he could have he could have entered. <laughs> we're in Game of Thrones territory folks no he could have yeah. entered the lodge when but they Tarvitz, offered him entrance into the lodge and take it down from the inside Loken could have done that you could make the argument that Tarvis is something similar by by turning down the the genetic modification, but I feel like that's so much more inherently against everything that Emperor's children stand for. That's less a flaw of him yeah. and more like. But Tarvitz is the one who figures like out that things are shifty when no one else has figured it out, and like he's just he's I don't know. Anyway, I love him. I love I love Tarvitz's arc. I love Tarvitz's arc because the minute he gets on that that ship. And starts heading down to Istvan to warn everybody. I I didn't know at that point that everybody on the planet wasn't gonna fucking make it out. Like I, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It just yeah. it didn't it it I didn't see what came coming. You know what I mean. I saw that like, he's gonna do something fucked up, but someone's well, gonna get out. Well then they give you hope the whole time. But Tarvitz Tarvitz I knew was gonna die. Like let's, just let's, the way let's take, that. <laughs> let's take that then and use that as an opportunity to talk about the events on the surface. We'll come back yes. to the ship for the end, but we'll yes. talk about the surface. Well, and again, the events on the ship are really exciting because it's, you know, they what they save Keeler from dying like four times. <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that. But like I said, we'll come back because yeah. Keeler is how Keeler is how the book ends. So I, I want to end yeah. our discussion oh, there. Course. So let's go to the, the surface for now. So the surface is insane. So these guys, so all basically all of the people that Horace wants dead are now part of the spear tip and they're not with their normal factions. Hooray. And they all question that, but they go down there and they do it and they find, um, I mean, they find another planet full of people to kill, right? <laughs> is what it really Those comes people. down to. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I forget how long they're there before the, the bad shit happens, but like, what is it? They, they they're get not there very long, but, but, yeah, but they, like, long I'm, enough I'm to secure. How it plays out. So they get there, they secure the coral city. There's the, there's those angel singer ladies that are just fucking, and fucking incredible. And if yeah. I ever, if I ever have a legion, I want like six of those. Cause they're fucking, 
I, I, lo- I love it. I think it's really cool. And that's where we hear, you know, that's where Tarvitz, right, sees the guy that's able to knock one of those down with his screech, right, or whatever it that is. Was, that was before. That was when they were securing the outer reaches. That's right. That's right. Sorry. I get But but they're right. down there. We've got the Deus Aire, which is so fucking cool. Um, down, down there blowing shit up. And uh, this, the stuff going on in there is another tiny sub book inside. Mm-hmm. Because I really didn't call that the freaking captain was in on this shit when they were like locking it up and everything but then we'll, we'll get to that but i when when there was that betrayal in there i'm like oh really i really liked all these guys yep. <laughs> you know what i mean like they did I, it to end i admit i did not see what happened with arkin coming i thought no. it was a way. oh so. shit but yeah so they're down there and then so i mean it, it's really brutal what happens on the surface but is it when is is it before the big event or after the big event that the Lucius betrayal happens? After. That's after. That's after. Well, okay. well after. But we start so, seeing the hints of that because um, Lucius during the whole like taking down our right. city is a lot he of goes, times he goes and finds that one guy that really doesn't have anything important going on to the grand scheme of the battle, but takes his head. Yeah, I, rem- I remember that. Um, so that tells about the big thing because that's about when the big thing happens. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm just I'm I'm trying to piece it back together. So, right. go, no, what walk me through this? So what what goes down? Because there was a lot of cool. There's a lot All of right. cool. Stuff so basically, what happens at this point, time. right? So we we got the Coral City. The World Eaters are massacring a shitload yeah. of people on one side. <laughs> the world Eaters are awesome. <laughs> it's what they do. That like they acknowledge it and and they own it. They like we slaughter people. This is what we do. So. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, Tarvitz lands uh, and immediately he finds, I think, some world eaters and manages to convince them that bad shit's going to happen. He gets Lucius on the phone and manages to convince Lucius that bad shit's going to happen. And he manages to contact Loken. He doesn't tell Loken exactly what's going to happen because he's like, if I keep trying to explain this to people and get people to believe me, then yep. it's going to take too long. So so he gets I like basically. That. We're going to tell everyone the people on this planet just have a weapon. Because if we tell them what's really going on, we're not getting through this shit. (laughs) So, yeah, so he manages to get all of, well, not all. He manages to get most of the Space Marines heading towards shelter of some sort. And a number of them get to shelter as the term is virus bombing begins. (laughs) Yes, and then that, so that brings us back to the ship. A little bit, yeah. Because the ship, so Keeler had had a vision of the virus bombing before we're told it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. She, she saw the, such a like, too. She, the people's flesh melting off their skin. And now they've seen this. And this is when the emperor, this is sorry. This is when Horace gives the, Hey, all of you iterators and, um, uh, remembrancers. remembrancers. Why don't you come down to the bridge and you see, you can see what war looks like. <laughs> well, like I, I want to share quick. this. Nice, I want to share this nice thing with you. <laughs> I want to jump in because one of my favorite conversations was Chris texting me going, so uh, what does this plague do? And like, was it nice? Like, oh, that's not good at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, I was not prepared for this when when when, when we get. Uh, I was prepared for Horace doing something awful, but I thought it was going to be like killing four or five of the main characters, and that be like that would have been enough. Like if he just went down and like you know basically bravehearted Loken in front of everybody, you know what I mean? That 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 yeah. would have been bad, and that's where I thought this was going. I thought we were Loken was going to basically get deboweled, you know what I mean, in front of everybody, and then they were going to cut his head off, and we were going to move along. But no, <laughs> but but we'll get get there so he gets all these guys and then you got keeler and carcassi and and cinderman well carcassi's <laughs> done for sorry yeah. and cinderman and um uh the, there's one other um uh olatin olatin and they go out and they basically find tar that's what the, no, the, that, the line you're asked to talk about where where, Keeler, where they literally like this is a trap right and keeler's like yes yeah. it is a trap and, we're going so and they go and she basically walks them straight to the half herd recognizing that he was going to be the key to getting, you know, um, uh, an Astartes to help them. And they basically convince him to get him off the ship. They kill Maggard, you know, and they do that. Well, in the background, Horus closes the doors and locks everybody in, shows them the virus bomb, and then kills all of them. You know, Holy shit, was that brutal. <laughs> for the record, I didn't actually, I knew the general terms of the virus bomb. I didn't know the specifics of it. So when when Tarvit says to the world leader, no, it's not done yet. And then we and then we go back to the ship and they talk about uh, readying the flares. I was like, oh, yeah. So, yeah, the fact that it not only is a super virulent plague that basically melts any organic material, but then fills the atmosphere with combustible gas that they then ignite. Yeah, not only do they kill all the hobbits, but they scour the fuck out of it afterwards. Um, but uh, no, it, so it that was amazing to me because it's like, all right, for, for people that don't know what a virus bomb is, you know, they basically unleash a plague that melts the flesh off of the bones and basically turns people into jelly inside their suits. Um, and it kills everybody, including people that are, don't even know this battle is going on <laughs> on the entire fucking planet. And... The ones that get to safety, and Ulrich talked about this in in your um your recaps of these. You know, it was like the um the stuff during was it what war was it where they were using that World horrible with the mustard yeah, gas. yeah with the mustard gas. You you get inside and you realize that you brought it in with you, and it's just oh that's fucking horrifying. Basically, everybody dies, and then some of our characters kept themselves safe. And even past the firebombing, which the DS Array has to close itself up, and you you think, okay, cool, all these guys are going to be protected, and then the DS Array is going to save the day, and you realize, <laughs> no, the guy the guy driving the ship was just uh, was all oh, this was all part of it, and yeah, he's actually part of the next wave, and <laughs> you get all of that. That was that was so dark. What the happened? Fact that with whole those sequence. Guys. Yeah, well, the fact that Arakin, like, I love and hate in that in the best possible yeah. way. His whole thing is like, my dream is to pilot a Titan and I'm going to do whatever it takes to yeah, do that. And I can't do that with your fucking betrayal shit. So I'm sorry. I don't care if I agree with you or not. You're dead. <laughs> ambition. That's yep. a whole series. Of well, talking he, about the dangers of raw it, it ambition. Parallels, it parallels him with Horus to a lesser degree, which is um, kind of the point. Uh, so then we get back to our guys and then about half three months later, they've yeah. now been gauging a ground war with Horus's forces for about three months. And this is where the Lucius betrayal happens, right? He goes yep. and kills that priest yep. and then he gets on the Vox and he goes up because he's just bullshit about 
Tarvitz getting the big day and him never getting to shine. Mm-hmm. And he calls up and basically betrays them. And um, all of that leads to... It's funny because that, that betrayal... I feel like because there's a lot of betrayals going on here, but there's something about that betrayal in particular that that is so painful. Because yeah. like Tarvitz recognized like Lucius Tarvitz. as like as like his best friend essentially. Yeah, well, you like together. Just your best friend. Like, well, you really and, like Tarvitz. Like you're really conditioned to like Tarvitz. And Lucius, you'd be like, oh, you know, he's kind of a dick, but you know, Tarvitz likes him, so he must be okay because Tarvitz is such a good guy. It's like all of a sudden Torgadon was like, all right, Loken, betrayal. Why? Well, and then, and that's what gets me to it. And stop me if there's more you want to talk about. But I will say that at this point, um, there are two moments that uh, you can go into detail as you want about them. But Lucius one is one of them. When when Tarvitz finds Lucius, there's Uh, something that is so telling about these characters that I adore so much. And it's actually really simple. It's kind of cliche. I don't care. It it hits me right well. Where Targaden recognizes that... Not Targaden, sorry. Where Targaden recognizes Lucius betrayed me. He also recognizes I can't beat him. I know for a fact I cannot beat him. But I have to fight him anyway. Because who I am, everything I am, demands that this betrayal be repaid. So even and though I know I can't win, I'm going to fight. And they parallel and, and again, they parallel that so wonderfully with Loken and Torgaden when yep. Abaddon and little Horus come down to basically fight just them. Exactly. You know what I mean? Said, same deal. <laughs> uh, and that to me, these books, the very first moment you meet Loken and Torgaden and then you meet Abaddon and little Horus was setting up this sequence. This was written so beautifully. The conversations that they have, the battle, because you understand that even though they're against each other, the four of them still have this odd respect for each other. That they not a bad, but that's because a bad kind of is yeah, but, but it's just at this point. <laughs> it's just weird the way they talk about each other, and I love that they that they worked in the even though, and 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 I'll say it now because it's going to be hard to say it because I actually was so you know even though Loken and Targaden don't make it out of this, um, little Horus is fucking broken by this. Yeah, like, you know the fact that little Horus <laughs> like talks with Targaden, he's like, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to. And so, the way the way that they both fight, and then you. And then Torgadon is overtaken off screen and we catch, we cut back to him just being beheaded. And it's just like, you fucking book. Why would you do this to me? And then the way like Loken and, and Abaddon get buried and then they're out. And then the, the fact that the book, and I would normally say this was too much, but this was very necessary. Loken, it, it's, it's like a, um, it, it's kind of like Rogue One. It's your, you have an unwinnable situation in front of you, but if they held off long enough, they severely wound what Horace is trying to do. And that's the whole point. And the description, the many, many, many paragraph description of Loken dying is incredible. Like just the way trapped literally yeah. in darkness and unable to move under the yeah. rubble. It's just it, the and it. I was I was breathless what, listening to this being read. It blew my fucking mind that I cared about this guy. That again, a couple chapters ago, a couple a book ago, they made me kind of question if I should be on their side with that. You know the stuff on the on the bridge there, and I'm back to going no 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 no. Like th- this this is a human, and they just got fucked. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> you it, know also, it also helps. It also helps that in Loken's last conversation with Carcassi, he expressed that he himself felt that that was that the bridge was fucked. So, <laughs> but anyway, exactly, exactly. Anyway, and then uh, and then our book ends after you know Horace made the uh, you know far too late but proper decision to just bombard the surface and then leave. Well, he'd we have wrangled Angron back under control. <laughs> we have a uh, Iacton uh, Cruz, the half herd, manages to get. Um, Keeler and whatnot off on a stolen Thunder Rock. Oh, the fight between Cruz and Maggard. <laughs> so good. It's so good. I love the fact that it is a giant metaphor for this idea of the old way in which space rings exist versus the new way in which space rings exist. And it takes the the interference of a remembrancer turned faithful to allow the old way to overcome. There's there's so much just to unpack there. So it's really well done. And and the fact that it's just a footnote in how amazing this is and still so cool. Like I, we go from like, you know, the half herd being okay, this seems like a cool character to like, I love this guy. <laughs> like very <Yeah>. quickly. <laughs> but but anyway, we end with now. They manage to get away because they are honest to the Eisenstein being piloted by Nathaniel yes. uh, Garrow, who is a, a Death Guard uh, space marine, and who, while only being a small part of these series, is a very important figure to Warhammer lore in general. So keep his name on your on your brain. <laughs> yeah, I know this. It, it, and then, yeah, so that that's how we end, right? Them escaping. Yep, yep, that's, that's the end. Yeah. Well, well there's, there's, also, a little, there's a little tip that, you know, Horace is like, all right. Phase one is down. And then forward, like, well, it's phase two. We go to Istvan five. Oh, yes. The the exact same way they ended False Gods <laughs> to the Istvan system. I don't know about you guys, but it's like a very Star Wars feeling. Like, oh, well, that's going to happen. What you now? You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm reading the Wikipedia um, thing for these three just to keep myself moving right. And what I think is wonderful is after reading the events of Horus Rising and the events of False Gods and half of the events of Galaxy in Flames, a planetary invasion of the fictional Istvan system. You really have to tell me this is fictional at this point, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a little odd. Little odd word there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, did I? And another thing, you you guys touched upon this because when we're recording this, I don't think your final, um, I don't think your final book club has come out. But we've all finished the book. But in the last one, you were talking about how um, confusing it can get with the flip of loyalists and traitors because it all depends on what character you're in. Yeah. And and I I always found that really interesting. It's like, wait a minute, but they were the oh right because this this is a loyalist. Now calling okay. <laughs> I actually love the the little symbolism there that of course the the traitors see themselves as loyalists and the loyalists yeah. as traitors. So it's a it, it's amazing and, and how little like how most of them don't really know the whole story and yet they're still fighting. I think that's that's really cool too. I, it, yeah, I also mentioned this in in that recording uh, that'll be out. But the fact that this this trilogy, right? And one of the reasons why this works as a trilogy, even though there are far more books after this, is because, as you just established, our main characters are all dead. This book yeah. had the balls to just be like, we're gonna kill everyone. And yeah, there's the antagonist is gonna go on, and there'll be other protagonists to try to deal with him in future books, but these guys' stories, they're over. And like you said, Loken exists for what? 500 pages total between these three books? Like and that. he has got the, like... There are 
multiple entire websites worth of information dedicated to this gentleman. And he deserves it. He's fucking cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like, there's a reason. And it's because they had the balls to kill them. Like, his send-off is so damn poignant because it means so much, you know? Well, anyway, since that is our... Our, our, I don't know, recap's the wrong word, but now that we've done a, like, a kind of in-depth journey thing, what are your overall thoughts, Chris? I, I mean, I think I think these are all incredible books. They were all written by different people, right? Graham McNeil did, what, the middle one? False Gods? Yeah, yeah but they worked together when they were writing. Yeah, yeah, I, but, but it's just, it's, it's interesting because, again, you guys had noted in all of your things the different writing styles of each of mm-hmm. the guys, and... With that same guy reading them, I didn't notice that as much, but Galaxy in Flames definitely is is written as a third in a trilogy. Like, it just dumps you right in. Like, it, it, it False Gods is, does a little backtracking and world building at the beginning. Galaxy in Flames is just like, yeah, sorry, hang on. <laughs> you know, which, which yeah. I thought was really cool. But, um, I mean, I think they're three incredible books. Like, I, I know there's a lot, but I definitely want to keep reading. Like, and, and I know that's, you know, the, the, the quality and this changes and, but I really want to read more just cause I like this world. I, I like this world. Um, I don't like a lot of the people in it and I don't like <laughs> that the people that I really kind of liked are now all dead. But at the same time, you know, you can't change the fact that even the villains are charismatic. Like you want to follow them. Like, I don't all of a sudden just not want to find out what happens to Abaddon and little Horus now. Like I want to know, (laughs) you know, we can't, we can't just end the story with Erebus and Eidolon still walking around anyway. So (laughs) Erebus, like that's the worst part of these three books is that Erebus is still alive. Jesus Christ. Well, the next book, can't we just, can't we just slit his throat and send him on a vision quest again? And then not (laughs) come back. Like I'm, I'm serious. No, no. Welcome to the community. We just all universally hate Erebus. He sucks. Yep. <laughs> not yeah. not even word bearer players like Erebus. We're like, yeah, he 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 sucks. He's so, he's like the worst version of the sheriff of Nottingham. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like there's some versions of the sheriff of Nottingham, like when Alan Rickman played him, where you're like, all right, this guy's a badass, even though he yeah. sucks. Then you get the one from Robin Hood Men in Tights. Erebus is like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, we uh, we haven't started the next book yet in our book club, but it's it's the flight of the Eisenstein or Eisenstein. I don't know. Flight of that. And uh, I don't know if it's good. I've heard it's good. But yeah, when when you say about the quality thing, going forward after this trilogy, the quality is a lot more up and down from what I've heard, but there are still plenty of good books, particularly, apparently if we get to uh Fulgrim, I guess that's book five. Six. Five. five. That's book five. I can't wait for that one. I want, I want more Fulgrim now. Fulgrim like that, is, that character is. interests the shit out of me. Um, yeah. No, Fulgrim's a really good one. I don't know. It really is interesting as we, we read through, because I think we are going to continue maybe intermittently to continue the Horace Hersey book club to get to the, some, I'm curious to see, if you guys agree with me, like some of them are some like opinions. Like there's some I love. They're like, oh, those are terrible. There are some I hate. That people think are the best. It, it's really interesting. We will certainly let you know, Chris, when we start Fly of the Eisenstein, so you can keep up or keep. Oh, absolutely, pace with absolutely. So. No, the last thing I want to talk yeah, about. Go ahead, go ahead. Before we go, is since Chris, you've now read the first three books, and you are, you know, you've you've got your thing. You can enter the great debate that consumes the community. Can this be made into a series? Yes. I want it. I want <laughs> it so bad. 
Like I would, I would, I would kickstart. I would pay for it. Um, but no, I think it should be made into a series. The question is that I have is again, I, I think th- this wouldn't work as films. Th- this would be a problem nope. as films. This needs to have, you know, like each of these books needs to be a season. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep, um, but who would do it? Like if you had a choice, like would it, would it, is it something you'd want like the game of Thrones showrunners to grab? Like when they were doing good stuff, um, the, you know, or, or is it somebody that hasn't been tapped yet? You know what I mean? Or thing... if you know, like, like, I don't know, like of the existing people's styles that I see, the... I don't know who I'd pick to do this. The person that comes to my mind first, I'm not saying this is my answer because I have to think about this a lot, but the first person that came to my mind is the showrunner for, uh, uh, Hannibal. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, and that's because he also did the first season of American Gods, and that that series, right, went off the rails in season two. And But in season one, besides some change decisions because it's an adaptation, I think the, the, the kind of tone he got there, the fact that he was playing with such weird imagery um, and successfully, like, making it feel real is the kind of skill I want to see from a Warhammer. Yeah, adaptation. no, and that... And that show, the showrunner and the visual stylist who directed a lot of the episodes was David Slade. And David Slade did Hard Candy, which is one of the most uncomfortable and great movies I've ever seen. He also did 30 Days of Night. And even though, even though what led him to doing television was because he got hired to do a Twilight movie. None of the Twilight movies are good, but the one he did was visually really fucking cool. <laughs> like he, he spent a lot of time making it look good. Because I will but, certainly say, and I'm and I'm sure you basically touched on this, but directing a movie and directing or, or running a show are completely different skills. Yes. So. Yes. And and I know David Slade can do both because the work he did on Hannibal was incredible. I still can't believe Hannibal aired on a regular network. That thing was fucking brutal. Like, I have no idea how they got that on a regular. It was more intense than any of the Hannibal movies, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, but no, I think I think he'd be perfect. I think also um, it would be cool to see um, to see the folks doing Westworld, um, the jo- Jonathan Nolan there and yeah. his little group of people. I think, again, it might be a little too clinical. Um, for what these need, these yeah. need a little bit more humanity. But I just think you know what they've done with a very minimal budget. You know, is do, is really uh, impressive. Ulrich, do we know who's doing the Eisenhorn show? They haven't announced that. It's still in early, early pre-production. Because right. we have a live-action Warhammer show in early, early pre-production, but it's 40k, not Force Heresy. But That's still, okay. If that if that succeeds, then that will definitely branch off into these kind of things so damn do i want it to succeed <laughs> to talk yeah, i think to, it will to put a to put a current event thing into the episode real quick just to say just don't let it be the people that are adapting resident evil for netflix mm. have you heard this i have not heard this so again i give them that like 10 years ago this would have been a clever bent but it just sounds like somebody said everything has to be stranger things because uh. they're doing what if Resident Evil was following Chris and Jill when they were teenagers? And Don't they're like, I, I love Stranger Things, but oh, I agree. But everything doesn't have to be Stranger yeah, Things. Stranger exactly. Things is one of my favorite things on TV. And but Resident Evil does not have to be a show about children uncovering mysteries. Resident Evil I is, is that. Yeah, 
To be yeah. fair, I feel like I don't feel like uh, I don't think I've seen a show that taps into the specific mix of emotions that Resident Evil taps into. But hey, Walking Dead comes close in some of the seasons, but it doesn't yeah. do the same thing. Um, but no, it just it, let's. I, I hope. Um, I hope, like, I mean, God, if Paul Verhoeven did TV, I'd just say he'd be perfect mm. because, because he gets he that would. it's not supposed to be taken seriously. No, he, he, <laughs> he definitely get it. He has the sensibilities. You know, no. you know what's a movie that, again, I'm not saying the, the guys who made this movie, but a movie that, in my opinion, gets that perfectly that I think would have the, the right, uh, would hit the note right, would be whoever did Dread. That idea yes. that Dread yep. is so, as a character, he's so over-the-top, over-serious that it comes back around to he's actually really funny and really cool. Like, that's what Warhammer needs to hit, where, like, on the surface, it looks like it's being overtly serious, but really it's not taking itself too seriously because it recognizes how over-serious it is. I actually think the District 9 guy could do well with Warhammer. Yeah. So I, I mean, I mean he, needs, he needs a handler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I, but I mean visually I think um that kind of like because there's a lot of big epic beautiful ship design in Warhammer that's described in the books mm-hmm. but there's also like the doldrums and like the old like beat up stuff too I think he could make that stuff look really good on a on a television budget Anyway, you know? Chris and Ulrich, we could we could literally fill an entire episode with this conversation about and we will have this conversation and we probably no. will. We are going to come back to this later. Yeah, we're approaching the hour. Sorry, I, I didn't yeah. to do that. No, no, no. no. I love. I it. wanted to ask out. you this specifically because three books, yeah. But when we start getting bigger and bigger, we're hearing more. I'm going to ask it to you again, so you can get to the next stage of oh, this is a much bigger project than originally anticipated. How do we do this now? This right. will be another episode. We are not quite there yet. And I think if we had to, I mean, you've shown me some Warhammer stuff that's in production or coming out that's animated. And I mean, God, imagine like the Castlevania folk yes. getting all oh, yeah, please. Like, oh, that would be or fuck like Guillermo del Toro and his troll hunter people, you know, take a swing at it. You know what Guillermo I mean? Guillermo del Toro does 40k. Yeah, that, that I want to live in that timeline. It would just all be on murder and everyone would be having sex. That that would yeah. be the <laughs> Anyway. We'll be told from the perspective of the mega arachnids. Yes, the mega arachnids have feelings. <laughs> of course. Anyway, um, before before we go out, do you have? I think I've asked you this twice already, but it's hard to keep it in my head. Do you have any final final thoughts before we go into our outro? I um I would not have probably done this without you guys, so I really appreciate it. And when I told my buddy um Dan who worked at uh games workshop that i was reading these he was like oh which ones and i told him which ones and he went oh yeah those those probably would be the perfect books to read first wouldn't they <laughs> and, I, and i and i thought that was really cool <laughs> he's like you do know there's like over 70 right he's like you can yeah. read them if you want but there's a lot and i was yeah. like yeah, yeah no but i thank you guys for this this is and, and doing the book club you know i i i know that that's a big undertaking but like i've always said about um you know what what made me want to hook up with you guys originally, like when you reached out, you know, to, to have me on the show or to be on my show or whatever, is just that you guys, you, you double down on, and, and again, I do the same thing. It's the enthusiasm for what you're talking about, right? And the fact that you stuck with this book club thing, um, you know, it, it's just a really cool thing because 
I think that's what we kind of need to do in this community is kind of remind people that there's other people that are interested too, and they want to take you along for the journey and that they're also enthusiastic about it. I think as cool as communities are and as big as they can get, I think we're losing that, you know, the, the thing that I told people that I think podcasts and groups on Facebook and stuff. If you go like these blockbuster groups and stuff that I've been in, what it brings back is that feeling of walking into somewhere and having the conversation you were having with a guy a week ago about something that only you and them care about continue, you know, Mm -hmm. and all the other bullshit in your life doesn't have to get in the way because you came back to it and being able to switch on your book club and go, Oh yeah, no, I just read those chapters and now I can hear them talk about it. It's like, it's something I, it it's it's a lesser it's a smaller less cumbersome thing than all of the societal things that we have to go through you go back and go cool i'm back to listening to my friends talk about something that i'm doing with them and i can go back to that and it's really structured and it's pointed and it it, it's just it's a cool thing and it helped me through it definitely helped me through this this mess that we've been in so i appreciate it well thank you chris and it's at this point we're gonna we're gonna take the box that you you we or the pedestal that we put you on, and we're gonna swap it out for a special box that you can stand on while you plug anything you want to plug. Oh yes, me. Um, I'm Chris Chipman, aka the Chippa. You probably know me um, from podcasts that I do that these guys talk about a lot. I do four podcasts: the Chipman Brothers Tangent with my brother Movie Bob, and despite the fact that the majority of you jerks hate him, he is actually a wonderful. <laughs> He's my brother and I love him. Um, I do the Creating Geeks podcast with my wife, which is about bringing up children in this very geeky life that we've established for ourselves and sharing stuff from our childhood and from the things that we're into with them. I do Shooting the Shit with Chippa, which is just an excuse for me to have a show like The Tangent with my brother, but have random conversations with other random people. Um, And what I love about that show is people like you guys and other friends of mine that come on enough, we establish a niche of what we talk about and they kind of become their own little sub shows. And I think it's great. And then the Talkbuster podcast, which is my ability to go back and talk about the land of video stores and video rental and just that whole section of the mid 90s to late um, early to mid 2010s, 2015s that isn't really there anymore. I mean, family videos in the Midwest. Um, I've never been to one, but, you know, there's only one Blockbuster left. That became the last Blockbuster while I was doing my show. And so if you're interested in hearing a bunch of geeks talk about video rental, check out the Talkbuster podcast. I also do Hopped Ones, which is a show like Hot Ones, the Spicy Wing Challenge show, except we drink beers and talk about random stuff. And I have a new show, This Made the Chippa, coming very soon, which is still kind of secret, um, but you can go to my YouTube channel and check out the theme song for it, which I was actually able to get the lead singer of my favorite band, Krista Makes, the singer of Less Than Jake, which is one of those really nerdy 90s ska bands that all of you seem to hate, (laughs) but I love. Um, And he did a theme song for me, which is the catchiest Saturday morning concert cartoon theme that never existed so um with that i do a lot of stuff i am on a lot of shows and i just appreciate anyone that wants to hear me talk and wants to talk to me so thank you very much yeah and as always we love having you man love chatting with you so thank you absolutely all right Ulrich, you want to take us out yes we'd like to thank you for coming here and listening to this first season of a podcast we weren't really sure was going to catch on or work and it did The numbers were huge. You guys love this, so we're definitely doing a season two. So stick around for that. 
and share this episode. Continue to share this. Continue to get the hype built for season two because the more pressure there is on us to do season two, the faster we're going to get it out for you guys. And chances are you're listening to this on either SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. If that is not the case, then we are unaware of whatever platform you're listening to us on. Maybe tell us about it. We can look into that and be on there officially or any other platform you'd like us to be on. But we got to hear about it first. You know? If you're picking it up on a random Vox channel from a planet that you're unsure of who's inhabiting it, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Samus. Anyway. <laughs> I need to sneak that into the recording now. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. Shield brother, Axel Wright. Until next time, may the dice roll in your favor.